everyone. Welcome to the third episode of the Social Good Podcast. Today we have with us Gemma Bull and Tom Steinberg, co-authors of, the, of their new book, Modern Grand. Thanks, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having us. All right, Gemma, why don't you do a quick intro for, for you guys and uh, yeah, just like let us know who you are and a little bit about your background. Sure. So um, Tom and I have a bit of a similar background in some ways. So um, both currently in the UK at the moment, and we have both worked for sort of over a decade um, in leadership roles and other roles um, supporting nonprofits before switching lanes and working for actually the largest community funder in the UK, giving away about £600 million uh, every year to to charities and community groups. Um, So I worked for sort of mainly larger charities as well as setting up um, a social business uh, supporting children and families to have better outcomes and also a large disability charity while Tom's worked more in the citizen empowerment pro-democracy space Uh, and I'm British um, but Tom is also a kind of US citizen and has uh, lots of experience working with US funders and US NGOs so that's our kind of career background I think that blend of experience of working as you know um people that are kind of trying to seek funding as well as uh, managing grants and then working for um, some of the the larger funders in the UK has really given us an insight into um, some of the kind of good things that are happening in grant making and you know speaking frankly quite a lot of things that need to change and that led us to deciding to, to work together on this book. That sounds wonderful. Yeah, I, you know, I'm definitely very, very into nonprofits, but I, I, I do have a long way to go. So I want to kind of like learn more about the field and uh, kind of see like what's going on and what are some of the problems that you see that are pervading the state. So can you, uh, can you guys maybe, fill, you know, fill the audience in a little bit more about like, you know, uh, what are the problems that you saw and, and what exactly motivated you to write the book Modern Graphics? Sure. Um, so um, I think that most people out there listening, uh, even if they're not experts in the nonprofit sector, they're probably aware roughly that there are some organizations out there um, that give money out to good causes, what we call grant funders. And then there are other kinds of organizations that uh, seek out and receive that kind of money, uh, often nonprofits, NGOs, uh, universities, scientists, that sort of thing. Um, but uh, even if you know about that big split between the people who give the money and the people who, as it were, get it, um, what's perhaps less obvious is that within um, the organizations that give out the money, within funding organizations, there are you, you actually two really different types of people in most of these organizations. Um, first, there are, there are the people who work for these organizations and make them um, run day in, day out, the sort of... Uh, the, the the people who are have jobs there and who five days a week, you know, um, uh, rock up and 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 do everything required to make grants. Um, and then there's a second kind of person in most uh, funding organisations who is a trustee or a board member, um, uh, and they um, they sometimes in private philanthropies. These are um, uh, sort of uh, individual kind of wealthy people. And then in government funders, these are just sometimes senior senior people. Um, these people often don't work for the funders like all the time, five days a week. They, they um, are people who maybe have jobs elsewhere. And their role is they make really big decisions in sort of in board meetings. They decide we're going to fund over here or over there. 
Um, and so those those um, trustees and board members are, are quite often quite famous people. So think of Mark Zuckerberg as a philanthropist or Michael Bloomberg as a philanthropist or Mackenzie Bezos as a philanthropist. These are, these are like public figures, some of them. Um, and in government funders, they're often politicians. Um, and there are a lot of books out there that are about um, educating and influencing these very senior people, persuading someone like Mark Zuckerberg that they should spend their money in one way or in, a, in another way. And because there's a lot of books, we definitely didn't feel that it was necessary to write another one that's about influencing this very kind of powerful and privileged group. The people who we really felt needed support, um, support and ideas and encouragement, are the people who work for funding organizations day in, day out. Um, and, and there are a lot of these people. That's what Gemma and I used to be. Um, and just to give you an example, the uh, the Gates Foundation, a famous grant-making foundation, gives out an awful lot of money every year. It has just three trustees, including Warren Buffett, but um, it has over 1,600 staff. So Gemma and I both worked as um, kind of people inside large funding organizations, and that's how we actually got to know each other. And we really felt quite keenly the absence of books and guides that were specifically for people like us, grant makers just trying to make the funding machine work as well as it could. Um, and we especially felt the lack of advice on uh, how to avoid making mistakes that are sort of predictable, the sort of mistakes especially that cause pain and difficulty and upset to the people seeking money, to the grant seekers. Um, and uh, especially how easy it is to make mistakes that cause inconvenience and pain to people where the grant seekers never know that happens, where they are, as it were, kind of oblivious to the fact that they've done something that's that's caused uh, hurt. So um, uh, that is a big part of the reason is we felt that this was a big underserved audience and that, that people like we used to be needed more support. But we must help, we must admit that we also wrote the book with a more activist, activist and a more reformist intent. Um, like many people out there, we think that um, traditional grant making, the way that these funding organizations have worked in the past has some pretty bad habits quite often and some, some unattractive problematic char characteristics that firstly uh, need to be called out and named and then they need to be stopped or stamped out. So this book is more than just a sort of how-to guide. It's more than just like a dummies guide. It's also a sort of rallying cry for people who think that grant making as a profession overall uh, needs to be uh, reformed. So it sounds like there are some like problematic problematic areas that you guys have seen in grant. Um, what 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 are some of those like bad habits that you've mentioned? Yeah. So I mean, before going into sort of the bad habits and maybe some of the more systematic problems, it's worth potentially saying that um, you know grant making has had some positive impacts on the world. I mean, actually, um, the progress with the Oxford AstraZeneca COVID vaccine, you know, is actually built upon decades of grant funding research. So there's grant funding, you know, when deployed very effectively can can be sometimes a huge force for good. But but just because there's some, you know, recent or potentially past successes with grant making doesn't mean that there aren't a number of things that could stand to change. Um, so recently, you know, philanthropy and grant making have been, we think, quite rightly criticised for being um, anti-democratic and unfair, inequitable uh, from a host of different angles. So as Tom says, whilst our book is not 
primarily a critique of philanthropy and grant making. It mainly points the way forward. We, we do try to be honest about some of those, those issues and bad habits. So here's some examples uh, with contemporary grant making. So I think one of the first ones, Tom's already mentioned it, is that quite often the way that, that funding organisations and grant makers work is by developing up a kind of funding offer and process that actually suits the funding organisation rather than the grant seekers and the grantees or the, the partners who are actually doing the social change or environmental change you know day to day and so quite often it's a bit of a stereotype sometimes um, within within the field we work in for for those looking for money to kind of talk about you know miserable exhausting inaccessible experiences experiences, you know, application forms that don't work, funders that don't have a website, and all of this um, can lead to uh, sometimes, you know, only certain groups of people having more of a chance of standing to get to get money. I mean, one example would be, um, and there are still a range of uh, funders that work like this, having, you know, if they do have websites, and if they do have uh, application forms, having application forms and websites that actually aren't accessible um, to disabled people because they haven't worked with disabled people you know grant seekers um, and grantees to actually fix their processes to make them as inclusive as possible so that's one issue uh, another issue is that um you know within grant making there are you know funders that do work quite open uh, openly and transparently but there are others that work in much more closed ways and so sometimes money can flow you know following social ties so it's about who you know who you meet with rather than actually organizations that are necessarily doing the best work um and then there's also an issue a wider issue with sort of good evidence being created and then that being used in decision making so funders um funding organizations you know around the world goodness the amount of, of millions of pounds that would be spent on on creating research and evidence would be absolutely enormous but how much of that evidence is being shared how much of that is actually good quality how much of that is actually being used to then inform future grant making decisions so when we're talking about this term modern grant making which is the title of our book we sort of define that as modern grant making being grant making that embodies the values of humility equity evidence service and diligence um and you know, grant makers actually really living all of those values in their day-to-day -day work because we believe that actually the, the problems that exist within grant making at the moment, you know, can be the opposite of those things. So sort of arrogant grant making, grant makers thinking they know best, um, you know, all sorts of issues to do with equity or inequity in terms of, you know, who's running organisation, who sits on boards, how communities are involved in, you know, the development of strategies and sort of funding schemes and, you know, uh, the rise of participatory funding is really exciting, but it, it's still um, not something that we would describe as being really common. I've mentioned issues around evidence. I've mentioned um, sort of funding organisations developing up their processes in ways that sort of suit them and their boards, rather than, than the people and organisations that are meant to be their, their partners in creating social change. So something around service and then um, diligence is, is something else we talk about. There's a kind of uh, a bit of a, a running theme when we were researching our book of, of some people being quoted as saying, well, grant making is really easy. Can't anyone do it? And the truth is, no, they can't. Not everybody can do grant making really well in a way that actually embodies all the values that I've just spoken about. And we really, really <laughs> want to sort of press on that fact that it's a profession like any other, uh, both art and science, and it requires um, proper training and kind of open conversations about continuous improvement. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, so you mentioned that, you know, some of 
like one problematic area is that money flows based on social ties rather than like uh, the actual needs of like the the community or like the nonprofit organization. Um, like, what's the story behind that, or like, has it always been that way, or um, you know, what what's kind of like the the the, the backdrop or the, the history behind that? Um, so philanthropy has this super long history, right? Like, um, and, uh, and there are some great books out there, including one by Paul Vallely, which are on, which will take you back to sort of, you know, the Romans and, uh, and the things they did around, um, uh, around, around giving money, uh, away for different purposes. But your question was specifically, um, uh, what's this about social ties and um and what we really mean by this is that um uh, a uh, a very common way that um uh someone will get a grant for their nonprofit or institution in in the kind of contemporary world is that um the person who is submitting the funding proposal saying please give us money will be someone who has got to know uh, a, a grant maker within a funder reasonably well over some period of time. Now, um, the question is, how have they got to know that person? Um, sometimes it's because uh, the grant maker has identified them and phoned them up and said, hey, you know, do you want to talk about your organization and whether or not we can support you? Um, it, but quite often, grant makers get to know people through uh, much more kind of classic social mechanisms like um oh they were a friend of a friend of somebody i was in university with or we met at a conference five years ago and we went for a drink and we had a good time and they like seemed like a really kind of nice person and then a couple of years later i got a grant proposal from them and, and my instant thought was oh yeah i remember that person they were they were kind of nice they seem like nice and smart like i'll give them the time of day and that that the, that um what feels like a very innocent very human connection which is to just you know connect with someone because you spent time with them is actually not as innocent as it sounds simply because in order to be at that conference where you randomly bump in someone and you randomly go to the bar or in order to be a friend of someone who you knew from university that all um requires uh individuals gr grant seekers to be sort of plugged in to certain social networks. It means that they have to involve people who went to the right university or went to the right conference or the person who is friend of a friend of someone who went to Harvard is probably someone who was at Harvard. And, and the, the side effect of this uh, very word of mouth mechanism, this um, is, uh, can be that, that groups that have um, uh, no informal contacts that don't just know anyone who happened to be at school or university or at some job with this uh, with this grant maker because they come from totally different communities, communities that have never gone, as it were, anywhere near the conference circuit or anywhere near the kind of the fancy university. Um, those people become de facto sort of excluded because um, they are not who the grant maker recognizes. When they send a proposal in out of the blue, the grant maker doesn't instantly think, oh yeah, I remember that person, they seem re really nice. Um, and so the, um, the, the, the challenge with grant making is that it is the most natural thing in the world to use human relationships to work out who you trust and who you don't trust. But the problem is that that feeds big, problematic, systematic inequalities, whereby some groups of people in society 
just do have loads of those connections and some people just don't. And so um, when we talk about um, uh, 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 equity and diligence being virtues in modern grant making, we we basically mean that the grant makers have to really struggle against the temptation to just take the recommendation from the person they trust. They need to struggle against relying on meeting interesting people at workshops and conferences. And they need to put the effort that is taken to work out how am I gonna hear from and how am I gonna talk to and how am I gonna learn about applicants who just don't have any social ties with 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 me or my organization or my or my trustees and it's a lot more work it's a lot more tiring but if we are going to get away from a world in which some groups just sort of basically unjustly have better access to funding and others unjustly have less good access to, to funding, um, then it's super important that grant makers realize that these um, informal social contacts are actually like actually kind of quite problematic and, and a really kind of big underpinning uh, part of systematic inequality. Yeah, I, see, I can kind of see how that you know comes into play when, when the social ties do come from a place of like systematic inequality pervaded into, uh, into all of the funding and the grants uh, going to the nonprofit. So, um, like, what are, like, how do you see this coming into play as far as, like, you know, um, like the pervasiveness of, of the inequalities in, in, uh, in funding nonprofits? What are some of, like, the problems that are, are going on today? Yeah, so um, as, as Tom mentioned, I think where there is access to open data, um, there's something called 360 giving uh, in the UK, for example, where there is access to open data about what uh, funding organisations or foundations are, are, you know, giving money to, you know, you can see that um, there are certain groups such as uh, groups that frankly aren't read, you know, led by um, white people are receiving relatively, you know, less, less funding. Um, and so that that is a, quite a stark uh, reminder of, of, of what we've just been talking about. They're getting less money. Um, and so you, you can see uh, organisations cropping up, such as one called um, Hashtag Charity So White in the UK and other organisations such as Resourcing Racial Justice, which have developed um, relatively recently in, in response to that history and are really helpfully um, and strongly and quite rightly we think challenging um some of those the sort of historic uh structural inequality that, that you see so you can see it um literally in who's who's getting the money and who isn't um but you can also see it in terms of who's running some of these funding organizations and who sits on boards they're overwhelmingly white um uh, overwhelmingly sort of older generation for trustees still um and it's also sort of more pervasive in the sense of everyday work. So one example would be, um, I used to sit in, in some meetings, uh, previous funding organizations, where you would be debating um, some funding applications. And sometimes those funding applications would be sort of dismissed or rejected because of the way they were written, as that mm -hmm. potentially being taken as a proxy for how you know, amazing that organization is or the work it's doing. And that is bias in, in another way, um, because it's, you know, a kind of perception of what, you know, kind of good writing looks like 
leading to you know potentially good social change and that's just in our views you know simply not true so the point i'm trying to make is that the the inequality runs through everything resulting in, in less funding for certain groups um but as i say thankfully there are organizations now um really challenging uh that historic way of working and putting pressure on organizations uh so as i said hashtag charity so white has been doing a lot of work in the UK and they've been working with really well-known uh, funders such as uh, one called Comic Relief here um, to help them to, uh, I suppose, make their approach to um, tackling structural inequality uh, much more purposeful rather than having um, just some sort of words about it, actually turning that into really clear actions. And one of those actions being um, a commitment uh, for quite a high percentage of their funding every year to go to um, you know, black and minority ethnic um, led charities and community organisations and actually sort of holding their feet to the fire there. So unfortunately, you know, we think it runs through everything. It's something we talk about in our book and we are um, quite open about that. We just think it's a fact. Uh, but we also have spoken with um, many, many grant makers working in different types of organisations at different levels to understand what they're trying to do about these issues. Um, what do they think about them? Stories that demonstrate the problem, sometimes quite starkly. Uh, but then also, you know, advice, hints and tips. What are we doing in our organisation to really openly and purposefully tackle, um, you know, inequality and inequity? In, in range of different ways, whether that's disability justice or, or racial justice, for example, gender justice. Um, and how are we doing that? Right from, you know, developing strategies. We, we chatted with a, a fantastic organisation, Prospera, which is a network of international women's funds. And, and we learned a lot from them about how um, you can develop your uh, strategy in a much more inclusive uh, grassroots way if you want to, than a more traditional uh, top-down way. Um, through to how are we redesigning our funding offer uh, in a way that's genuinely more uh, accessible to everybody. So um, the problems exist, definitely, but we've done our best to try and come up with or share some of the really practical ideas that people are taking forward to make a difference and make a change. Yeah, I think I ran across the, the hashtag, Charity So White. Um, is that just in the UK or in other countries as well? The, the hashtag. Um, I, I know it's centered here because it's also it, it's not just a hashtag. It's also essentially a real organization. Um, uh, wow. I, I presume it gets used elsewhere, but uh, I, I, we, we more came across actually kind of different organizations centered out of the, the, the US and other places. Um, uh, and um, and so, for example, there's a, a different sort of network that is focused uh, not really on the UK, but much more on the kind of funding that is done from really rich countries like America to relatively poorer countries. Uh, that hashtag, and again, that movement is uh, shift the power and uh, things that start as hashtags become real kind of like proper organizations. And so those people um, started at a conference as a hashtag and then they're so big, they've had their own international gathering. Um, and uh, so, yeah, there are all sorts of centers to the reform movement going on. And one of the ideas behind our book, Modern Grant Making, was to say um, there is not one idea that is just basically the quick trick to make grant making better. It's not It's not one of those fields that's being reformed with some magic wave of wand, 
use AI and it's all fixed. Instead, what we observed is that there are various different reform movements that are focused on different things in different places. But when you bundle them all together, what you can definitely say is that there is a general reform movement coming across grant making at the moment, which is pretty new. Like it's a field that hasn't reformed enormously rapidly in the past. And right now it's changing a lot. The expectations about how um, how uh, grant seekers will be treated are changing quite rapidly. The expectations about who will work for organizations and how the money will be awarded and who will be on the board of organizations, those are all changing. The expectations about how research and evidence and evaluation will be used to work out whether or not grants are being spent on effective things, those are all changing really rapidly. And so um, uh, by writing a book called Modern Grant Making, which is an overview, we're essentially celebrating the fact that there are loads of reforms going on and um, good modern grant makers who want to make the best grants they can, they need to know about these various movements and various changes. And it's not enough to just say, I am gonna become a big expert on this, at, at which point you, you might be a niche expert, but you know you won't necessarily know how to do lots of other things. So it's, um, it's like a, a saying, you know, a doctor can't just have be a brilliant uh, surgeon or have a really good bedside manner. A doctor has to be both a good surgeon and have a good bedside manner. Uh, and that's uh, that's the sort of uh, broad message we're trying to convey. I see. Um, so what, like, you know, when, when like, there's inequality that, that's pervasive in, in grant making, how does that play out as far as, like, the funding? That, that gets distributed. Um, is that kind of like, does that become like highly skewed or um, what are some of like the conversions that happen when, you know, hashtags are used white? Yeah, so um, I think we you know, in the UK in particular, uh, about what they're what they're funding, and so you can see from that that sort of over time, um, certain types of organisations, often led by um, groups that, as I mentioned before, uh, maybe non-white or uh, disabled-led organisations, tend to get sort of so far relatively um, less funding out of the overall pie. So that that's quite a stark stark funding. One of the things that that's been um, really promising and encouraging has been um again a sort of uh further move towards organizations uh genuinely uh trying to um run and support more participatory approaches uh, and what we mean by that are um funding organizations that are kind of really trying to balance their power and and share more of that with the communities and people that they're seeking to serve depending on what their you know overall mission is and so there are some organizations um, such as uh, the one we both used to work for called the National Offshore Community Fund, um, where a colleague there, Hannah Patterson in particular, um, set up uh, a new participatory fund whereby some of the organisations um, with sort of leaders of lived experience uh, of, of certain issues were helping to make decisions on where the money was going rather than, you know, people that uh, work for the community fund. And there's a whole range of organisations that are um, testing and trying things out in that space. I'd put the National Rotary Community Fund in that bucket. But then you've got other organisations like the Disability Rights Fund that have been um, established very much with that ethos ingrained throughout them uh, from the start. And in their case, you know, working very closely uh, with 
um, very diverse groups of disabled people uh, around the world to help inform their strategy and where the funding's going. And what you see with um, you know, really meaningful participatory approaches is that you see uh, the money go to different types of organisations led by and uh, run by different people and different kinds of movements. It's probably no surprise that when you um, broaden and diversify uh, the types of people that are making funding decisions, you get different funding decisions. And in fact, there's a recent book that's that's been launched uh, by um, Ben Robel and Meg Messi called Letting Go, which is all about uh, sort of why uh, more funding organisations should, should seriously consider uh, participatory grant making uh, and some really fantastic real life examples of organisations that have been doing this for a long time uh, and organisations of movements that have just been set up or just trying to learn how to do this well. So that's that's one approach that we'd uh, really encourage listeners to, to kind of learn more about if they don't know much about it already, if they're interested in practical moves to try and tackle some of the um, in inequality that we've seen historically within funding about where it goes. Mm -hmm. What are some like different ways besides, you know, um, participatory grant making that, that grant making can be, become more equitable? Um, like maybe having, you know, besides having more diverse people on the board, uh, what are some like different, different manners that, that you guys suggest in the book? So we we saw um, a couple of just different interesting sort of models. One is um, some organizations are just extremely good at using data to work out um, uh, where their grant money is going and where it isn't. Um, and um, the truth is, if you're not studying, if you're not recording data, then you're never going to get very far on in making your grant making more equitable at all, because you just won't know. And one of the more impressive examples we saw was um, where uh, an organization studied um, uh, the uh, the composition of, of, of organizations applying for funding. And then there are various stages in grant making. Fun funding proposals come in and they get initially sifted and then they get sifted a bit more and then you get final decisions made. And this organization had good enough data and good enough analysis. They were able to work out at which exact stage it was that a majority of all of the the um, uh, groups from kind of mi minority applicants were um, were basically getting cut out, and that gave them information about which part of their process was the problematic part, and then which part was not so problematic. So that's one thing. So we saw great uses of kind of data analysis to um, to spot what's going on. Um, we heard lots of examples of funders just simply seeking to recruit different staff members themselves, just having new and better recruiting processes. Because frankly, if you've got a more diverse staff, it becomes entirely likely that um, uh, your organization will make more, more kind of diverse and equitable grants. And lastly, one of the most fascinating and strange ones we heard about was uh, in the realm of science funding. There are interesting experiments of um, uh, awarding grants almost uh, entirely at random or literally at random. Um, which uh, is uh, a curious idea, but it has uh, one uh, intriguing side effect, which is if you are making grants that are largely randomly distributed, then of course uh, the human input that can produce biases, well, that kind of goes away. So, um, so those three extremely different examples show that there is not just one trick to more equitable grant making. It's like there are a great many different things that organizations can try. And in the book, we've uh, interviewed a lot of people and tried to write up a lot of stories about um, uh, about what's been tried. That's really fascinating. I, you know, in 
uh, in the business world as well, I think data data collection goes a long way in, in, in optimizing for results. And that seems to be true in the nonprofit world as well. So that, that's definitely fascinating. Um, so in, like, in both of your views, um, what do you think are some of the challenges going forward? And what, what like, solutions do you press for the development? Yeah, so so solutions going forward. I mean, clearly in writing this book, um, we're 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 really trying to, as Tom said, celebrate the the reform movement and um, both at a broader scale and actually practical day to day. What are people doing to reform, you know, their own organisation and and grant making more widely? Um, so there's lots of things that can be done. <laughs> in 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 the book, we say, you know. Um, start with your individual role uh where might there be uh points of leverage or things that you think it's really important that you could do yourself whether that's kind of uh you know your own training or kind of you know really pushing for more inclusive design when it comes to your your own funding offer you know working more broadly with the organization to think about whether they have you know a really purposeful plan when it comes to tackling um inequality uh and then thinking about the broader reform movement you know are you as a grant maker involved in anything? Would you like to be? Here's some here's some ideas. Um, so it's kind of multi multifaceted and, and, and multi level. Um, I think at a kind of broader scale, one of the the challenges that we we, we mention in the book is that there is this um, reform wave, uh, you know, comprised of all different types of people, uh, you know, actors and, and movements. Um, However, there are, you know, individuals that have been running funding organisations for a very long time, people that have sat on boards for a very long time. Just because you've been doing something for a long time doesn't necessarily mean that that's a bad thing. But we do see um, there's some tension building between those that are kind of in the reform movement and you know in the moment um and and those that maybe are sort of trying to block reform because it's not in their interest or it's not something that they've they haven't worked in that way before or it's kind of um a little bit more insidious than that and they don't even know that they're actually kind of trampling down some of the reforms so it, it's not just a generational thing because um you know there are uh, people of all different ages that are in the reform movement but but kind of generally speaking there's a kind of you know younger group of grant makers sort of agitating for change and people that have been in you know senior jobs and on the board for a long time that um maybe don't see the need for it because actually their lived experience is, is different um, or just don't know what to do themselves about how they could help because they feel uh, potentially a bit distant from it. So that's that's a bit of a challenge that, that we see and that we've, we've spoken to lots of people about. Um, but the book, you know, Modern Grant Making, has lots of practical advice. If you want to try and think about your own role, here's some ideas. If you want to try and think about supporting your organisation to modernise, here's some ideas. If you're keen on joining the much broader reform movement, here's where you could get started. Great. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, congratulations again on your book, Modern Grant Making. Uh, and I hope, uh, you know, um, can you give us a plug to the website for the, for the book? Sure, it's uh, at uh, moderngrantmaking.com. Um, uh, the uh, pre-orders will be open in uh, late May and uh, we'll start shipping copies to people in, in June. All right, so everyone go visit moderngrantmaking.com and, and pre-order your copy today. Thanks so much for, for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you.